Thank you, Rachel. I'm in a minute. Rachel's going to come back and read for us. Um, we're going to continue our time in Luke's Gospel. If you're here this morning, you've got to think God really wants to teach you something through Luke 13, um, same chapter we were looking at this morning. We're, we're listening in to Jesus in this chapter. We're hearing how he responds and what he does as he's questioned and interrogated by people who are, who are trying to work out, I mean, who is this man? If you were here last week, you'll have heard hard words that he has to say to us. And great disasters came. There were Jews massacred at the altar as they carried out their, their sacrifices. There was a tower that fell down on, on the edge of Jerusalem and killed 18 people. Awful tragedies. Bring it into today's world. Californian mudslides. Portuguese leisure center fire. Awful tragedies. Jesus' response twice, he said, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Those are hard words. But Jesus is saying, look, there is purpose in our hardships. We mustn't look at, at suffering and just see it as meaningless destruction. We need to allow our earthly hardships to remind us of eternity that lies beyond this earthly life. God has got purpose in it all. That, that was last week. But I'm guessing, if you were here last week, you might have gone home thinking, well, that all feels pretty, pretty cold, pretty clinical, pretty dispassionate, awful tragedy. And Jesus says, well, this, this happened so that you might repent. And you want to say, is that it? Is that, that all you've got to say on this matter? Well, wonderfully, no. Jesus has got much, much more to say about our suffering. Um, these two passages, one we looked at last week, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 13, and then tonight's passage, 10 to 17, they, they are two passages that are meant to be read side by side. Luke's very deliberately put them together for us. In fact, as, um, as Rachel reads, see if you can spot the detail in tonight's passage that links it to last week's passage. Just a tiny detail. If you were here this morning, you're frozen out of the game. Um, but grab a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 13, page 1046, and uh, Rachel's going to read for us. So Luke chapter 13, reading verses 10 to 17 on page 1046. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your, your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? 
When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Brilliant. Thank you, Rachel. So what do you think? Anyone, um, anyone spot the repeated detail? Obviously help if you were here last week. Number 18. The number 18. Did you get that? So last week, 18 killed as the tower fell. This, year, this week, 18 long years of suffering. Now, I'm a numbers geek, so I get excited about things like this. And people do all kinds of funny things with the number 18. They say, um, well, 18 is 6 plus 6 plus 6. And 666, Revelation tells us, is the number of the devil. So clearly there's something about the devils. Don't, don't get overcomplicated here. But I think we are meant to notice this 18, these two 18s. 18, it shows us the horror of the collapsed tower, doesn't it? 18 died. That, that, that is a big catastrophe. 18 long years of suffering. I mean, imagine that. 18 years bent double. The pain. We're meant to see the anguish of this woman. But I think the repetition between the two passages, those are both historical 18s. They're real 18s. I'm not questioning them, but Luke's put them side by side to help us see that these passages need to be read side by side. Last week, verses 1 to 9, God is showing us how we need to respond in suffering. That we need to see God has got a purpose in it. But this week, these verses, we see how God responds to our suffering. And it's not God responding in a sort of general sense, dealing with the suffering of the world. This is specific and personal. This is how does God respond to the sufferer? How does God respond to you? in your heartache and hardship. And these words are, are simply wonderful. We've got a couple of headings uh, for us as we look closely at this scene. We've got slavery comes from Satan, and we've got Sabbath rest comes from Jesus. So have a look down with me. We're going to see slavery comes from Satan, and we're going to read again from verse 10. As we read, just, um, I mean, if you want, shut your eyes and picture the scene. Actually journey to this synagogue and understand what is going on. Verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Can you picture her? This woman in the synagogue, bent over. She she can't stand up straight. We've already noticed that Luke is choosing his words carefully here and Uh, Verse 11 is no different. The Holy Spirit, as he inspires Luke to write, has inspired Luke to choose very careful words. He says, a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. What do you do with that? A woman crippled by a spirit. You get the same emphasis later, verse 16, where Jesus says, Satan has kept her bound for 18 long years. I love the fact that Luke is a medical doctor. And as he writes, you know what medical doctors are like. They love using all the long words, don't they, to sort of describe medical conditions. And you don't, you don't get them. Luke doesn't do that. He's not giving us her medical condition. He wants us to get her spiritual condition. He doesn't want us to see this world through the eyes of flesh and blood. 
He wants us to see this world through spiritual eyes. This is really important for us. Very easy to, to read those words and just think, well, this is, this is sort of pre-scientific ignorance. They, they just didn't understand medicine back then, so of course Luke couldn't describe the condition. This is God, our creator, speaking to us, his creation, and he's explaining our struggle to us. He says a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And this woman, I don't think we're meant to see her as particularly unique. It's very easy to read that. When I first read through this passage and started thinking through this, this by spirit, I was thinking, well, you know, is it talking about this sort of special category of demon possession? You get that in the Bible, don't you? You meet, meet people who are demon-possessed. And the danger there is that we, we put demon-possessed people in, in this little bracket, small, small group of people who are demon-possessed, but everyone else, they're, they're free. They're okay. If we see the world that way, I don't think this miracle's got all that much to teach us. Uh, we look at Jesus, we see his power. He, he, can, he can heal, power over nature. Yeah, that, that's good. It's good. But does it help you and me and our struggles? I think we need to push harder. A woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. You see, this woman, she's, she's a real woman, historical woman. But she's not unique. She, she, she is a picture for each one of us of Satan seeking to bind humanity. And each of us here tonight will be able to empathize in some way with this woman. For each of us, there'll be some area of brokenness in your life and my life. And it probably won't be a short-lived thing. We might like to think it's something that's going to get fixed pretty quick. Maybe we don't realize yet that it's going to be long-lived. But here is the picture of broken humanity, of slavery to Satan. See, the point is that Satan is seeking to bind each one of us in different ways. <coughs> Mental health, physical health, addiction, heartache, fear, anxiety. What is it for you? Whatever it might be, you see, Satan's got plenty of tactics. His goal is to bind us, to, to make us slaves. We're not meant to look at this woman and, and just feel sorry for her. We're meant to look at this woman and empathize with her. This, this is each one of us. The theologian David Gooding, he puts it this way. I put it on the bottom of the, uh, the service postcard, if that's a help. It's on screen too. Uh, Gooding writes, Satan in his wickedness has always sought from the beginning, the very beginning, to rob humanity of our dominions and dignity and to degrade us into slaves. Get the sense? Got an enemy. And he wants to turn you into a slave. And it's a universal battle. This, this woman, every one of us, knows her struggle in our lives. 
You can't divide the world into those who are bound and those who are completely free. And we struggle with that. And freedom in the 21st century, it's, um, it's a pretty big thing. We like to sort of proclaim freedom. And many freedoms have been won for us, and we cherish them. But ask yourself, are you really free? Are you financially free? Can you really buy anything you would like? Even that guy in America who just won, whatever he won, $451 million uh, in the lottery. Although he chose a smaller amount to take it immediately, didn't he? I couldn't quite get my head around that. Anyway, $451 million. But he's still not financially free. He can't buy anything he likes. If you're a house hunter in Cambridge, you'll know you're not financially free. You can't buy anything you like. You're not geographically free. You can't just go wherever you like. Planning a trip with a friend. Want to go to Russia, because it's a great one to get on a scratchy map. You get sort of massive swathe of the world scratched off. You can't just rock up to Russia. You've got to get a visa. You've got to get get permission from Vladimir to go into Russia. You're not socially free. See, I can't just decide that Will and Kate are going to be my best mates, that they really need a bit of John Tuckwell time and say, rock up at Kensington Palace for tea. They, they, it, that, that doesn't work like that. We're not socially free. And we're not physically free. You see, your body and my body, they are decaying. They're aging. Some of us faster than others. But you can't stop it. By all the creams and ointments you like. But we are destined for death. And we can't choose otherwise. We're not free. We like to think we are free. But we're not free. And we're not free spiritually either. We, we, we talk about having free will. I think we need to think pretty carefully about just how free our will really is. In some way, each of us knows the enslavement of this woman. It's, it's a slavery that comes from Satan. Slavery comes from Satan. But notice how the story continues. Our second heading, Sabbath rest, comes from Jesus. Uh, read with me from verse 12. Remember, the woman pictures each one of us. Okay, grasp that and we'll grasp just how wonderful these words are. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forwards and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. I love this moment. You sort of got to capture the scene. Jesus is there in the synagogue, and he's speaking. He's in full flow. But as he speaks, his eyes rest on this woman. She's, she is part of the, the creation that he made. Good creation. But now as she sits and listens to her creator, she is bent double in pain. She's bound. And so Jesus 
seeing her. He breaks off what he's saying. He calls her forwards. He wants her at the front because he wants everyone to see because she's a picture of each one of us. And his words? Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Do you see, Satan binds, but Jesus frees. And then he, he puts his hands on her. And, and that is pretty controversial. Okay, back then, men did not put their hands on women, and certainly not in a synagogue of all places. He put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Is that not a wonderful scene? Satan binds, Jesus frees. And as she sees her freedom, she gives glory to God. She's got no doubt about who it is who has healed her, who this man is in front of her. But here's the puzzle. I guess you might be thinking of it. She's not a unique woman. So these are, these are real historical events, real people. Don't mishear me on that. She's a real woman, but she's not a unique woman because she pictures each one of us. Satan bound her. We can see ways that Satan binds each one of us. So here's the question. What do we do with our brokenness? What is, what's the application for you and for me? Do we finish tonight, the service tonight, with a time of healing? One by one, we, we all come forwards, bent double, with whatever way it is that Satan is binding us and Jesus will heal us. Well, I, w- I want to say that that would be a good thing to do. And, and at very least, this passage reminds us that Jesus Christ is Lord of his creation. You notice that verse 15? Again, Luke, very careful with his words. Verse 15, the Lord answered him. That's lovely. That's just Luke reminding us who is in charge here. Time of healing? Well, yes, we should pray. Please do pray. It'd be really lovely after the service just to see people praying with each other, bringing their brokenness before God. We must pray. Jesus does heal. But he won't heal all of us, will he? We saw that last week. God has got purpose in our hardships. God cares more about our godliness than our comfort. He wants us to to live for eternity rather than the here and now. That's why it's absolutely key in understanding these verses to to spot the little detail that Luke repeats five times in these verses. I realize I'm making you work hard here, but look down. What, What is the detail he tells us again and again and again? Five times it comes up here. Anyone got it? Be brave. Third word. Sabbath! Sabbath! You could all see it. You must keep me on tenterhooks. You see, Luke begins, verse 10, on a Sabbath. It's a detail. Why has he told us that? Uh, and then verse 14, the synagogue leader's indignant this healing took place on the Sabbath. And, and he says, look, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. Verse 15, as Jesus responds, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath 
untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? From what bound her? You see, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. Why, why is Luke whispering Sabbath to us? Why does the Sabbath matter so much here? I used to think that what was going on here is that the religious leaders, you know, they had got all their rules, neat and tidy rules that they wanted kept just their way. And Jesus was breaking their rules, and so they were grumpy. Now, there is some of that going on here. Jesus is showing up their hypocrisy. But there's more. Sabbath. Anyone know what Sabbath means? Sabbath? Michael, you'll know. Oh, putting you on the spot. Very unfair. Rest. Rest. Well done, Jeffrey. Sabbath means rest. It's not the Sunday afternoon kip that I had this afternoon in front of the football. It's a better rest than that. Go back to the very first Sabbath, seventh day of creation. See, God spent six days making this this perfect world. Good, 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 very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. He enjoyed his perfect creation. He enjoyed the relationship with those he had created. But you know what happened. Satan came in, sin entered the world, and the perfect world was broken. Sweat and toil replaced rest. And so from that point on, whenever the Bible speaks of Sabbath rest, the point is that we are looking forward to the day when that perfect world is restored, when sweat and toil cease and rest returns, when our broken relationship with our Creator is restored back to a perfect relationship. Sabbath is, is a looking forward to a better world. That's when, why when, um, when God gives the, the Ten Commandments to his people, with the Sabbath commandment, he says, remember, I, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So keep the Sabbath holy. The point is, the Sabbath represents freedom from slavery. It, it, it is a looking forward to that freedom to come. So as we Sabbath, we should still be Sabbathing. Still a commandment. Jesus says it's good for us. We could say lots more there. But fundamentally, a Sabbath should cause us to look forward to that restored creation. Now, with that in mind, come back to Luke 13. Look at the synagogue, and do you see the difference the Sabbath makes? Because if Jesus is all about the healing, physical, emotional healing, whatever it might be, If that is the ultimate goal, you want to say, well, that is good, but it's not great. Because you and I are still left in a world full of hurt and pain. Jesus fixes my my dodgy knee. I'm still left with a whole load of dodgy relationships, broken relationships. It's as though he's sort of just doing a little patch job, a bit of sticky tape here and here and here. It's good, it's not great. But as we look at this synagogue scene, Luke wants us to see this is great because this is Sabbath rest breaking in. It's coming. We, we've been longing for it since Genesis 3. And here it is. And here is the one who will usher it in. If you've um, 
read The Lana Witch in the Wardrobe or watched the film, there's a lovely moment where Mr. Beaver uh, speaks of Aslan the lion. Aslan's the, the Christ-like figure in the series. And Mr. Beaver speaks these words. He says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes its mane, we shall have spring again. Do you see that that is the synagogue moment? This is Sabbath rest breaking in. It's restoration. I've had the privilege this week of um, sitting with lots of people who in various ways are in lots of pain. Emotional hurt, grief, physical pain, loneliness. Um, all bound in different ways. All longing to be free from their pain. But the problem is, I'm a fixer. That's the way God made me. That's why I liked engineering. You could fix things. Um, I like to solve problems. And so as I sit and listen to pain, I, I just want to be able to fix it, to sort it out, make it go away. I was thinking back to those encounters this week, and, and I prayed with every one of those people that I met with and I was thinking what, what did I pray for them what does it tell me about what I was longing for them if I'm honest I'm not sure I've prayed enough for healing for physical healing emotional healing we must pray because Jesus does heal and in God's great kindness it might be that moment that moment of prayer where he chooses to let as it were the, the snowdrop break up through the winter snow or the winter frost first signs of spring in C.S. Lewis language. Just a little glimpse of the new creation to come. He gives us those to, to keep us looking forwards. We must pray. But actually, I don't just want to pray for healing. I, I want to pray bigger prayers than that. I'm not really a, a snowdrop kind of man. I'm far more about the summer sun in these winter months, the thing I'm really looking forward to is we've got a holiday booked in Italy in the summer. I keep saying to my wife, Italy's going to be wonderful. It's the sun I'm looking forward to. Blazing sunshine. That is the Sabbath rest. See, one of the things I love most about this scene is that um, this woman bent double for 18 years. Presumably walking was enormously painful for her. And yet, what has she done this Sabbath morning? She journeyed to the synagogue. She, she had traveled through the pain of life, pressing on in faith in the living God to gather together with God's people. And that's really what I want to be praying. Because the synagogue is the place of gathering. That's what the word means, synagogue, gathering. It's a gathering. We're a gathering. We're, we're a synagogue tonight in a gathering kind of sense but with Jesus right at the center we're a synagogue but every earthly synagogue it's just a little picture of a heavenly synagogue of a day when all those who have pressed on in the hardship of life will gather around the throne of Jesus Jesus will be there right there in the center of them again just as he is in Luke 13 all eyes will be on him all ears will be listening in. And then we'll be singing endless praise.
praise to Jesus. That's what this woman did. She was set free. She was restored. And she praised her creator. And wonderfully for you and I, this is what we do with it. Because of Jesus, because he is bringing in this Sabbath rest, if we persevere in faith, if we press on through the hardships of life, great though they may be, set free, restored, you and I will gather around the throne of Jesus Christ and we'll praise him. We'll give glory to God for all eternity. That's what I want to be praying for each one of us. Why don't we pray together now? Our loving Lord, we we praise you for Jesus. Thank you that he is Lord of his creation. That there is nothing in this world that sits outside of his loving rule. We rejoice in that. We pray that we would be people uh, learning to persevere through pain and hardship. We know we live in a broken world broken because of our sin. And we long for the world to come. Long for that day when there will be no death or pain or tears or mourning. Just joy. Because we'll know the freedom, the restoration that he brings. Please God our Father, keep us pressing on in faith, trusting in our wonderful Saviour until that day. In his precious name we pray. Amen.